This week on the Property Punks podcast, we sit down with Ewan, who gives us an authentic and genuine insight into his story into becoming a property investor. He tells us the highs and lows of going through a property refurbishment and what he had to do to save for his very first property. He even takes part in our property pub quiz. If you want to take part, you can write down your answers at home and see how they compare with yours. Anyway, let's jump into the podcast. Hello, punks. Welcome to the Property Punks podcast. This episode, I'm joined by passionate property investor Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sebastian. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Ewan, I just want to start by saying that I've worked in the property industry for a couple of years now and I have this theory that to work in property and to be part of the industry, you have to be absolutely mental. You have to be absolutely bonkers, which is probably part of the reason why I love it so much. But I wanted to ask you, what were the key moments for you that got you into property investing? Yeah, I would, yeah. I would absolutely agree. You probably do have to be uh, bonkers, uh, especially to get into the buy-to-let now, especially with everything going on. But so what got me into property was really growing up, um, there really wasn't uh, much money uh, around a sort of single parent uh, household, although I was always uh, well looked after. Um, I sort of grew up with that. Uh, Being able to value money, you know, so probably from very early, I even remember uh, saving my dinner money for a full year because I knew I could go home and eat everything in the cupboard and then I would save my £2.50 or £3. So that sort of progressed to when I um, sort of left school and started working. Although I went straight to university, uh, I got a job at the local hospital. So while I was at university in Stirling, I would head home to the West Coast and sort of work every weekend at the hospital. And, and, that, and that was great because sort of money paid, it was double time uh, for unsociable hours. And then during the week, I worked in a shop at the university. So that really allowed me to start uh, saving a bit more money, you know, a bit more than what you would get by saving your lunch money. So I think I maybe saved up about maybe 10, 15,000 pounds. And at that point, I had in my head, well, I should really be thinking about investing this to get a return. So that's when, that's when probably around, maybe around 2015, when podcasts started becoming a thing. Uh, so I listened to a few football podcasts at the time and thought, well, if I'm listening to this stuff, I may as well be learning something. So uh, I discovered uh, an American podcast called The Bigger Pockets Podcast, um, which was great. And the first thing I got from that is they used to do a book recommendation and every guest uh, used to recommend Rich Dad Poor Dad, of course. So then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and that, that put me on sort of another, uh, towards the trajectory of property, you know, I said that this would be the investment that I would choose. And to be honest, that was probably the first one that I was would research because um, I sort of grew up this month saying, oh, like any mother, oh, you should you should get into property or something, you know. And the local town I was from, the sort of biggest business there was a large construction company who sort of owned a lot of property, they built a lot of stuff, and more or less everyone from school who became an apprentice went to work for them. So that was the, the first thing to really learn about was property. And then I discovered um, sort of UK podcast, uh, started listening to that, and that's when I found out about how you can sort of buy a property, do a refurb, and then remortgage the property. Because in theory, you could have your money back out, 
And then at that point, I didn't really research any more investments because I thought if I could get my money back out, it's almost a free property. And then that's sort of how I got started, you know. Brilliant, brilliant. How did you stay so disciplined? Think back to those days where you were going to the hospital. How did you stay so, like, you know, disciplined? Whereas I would, I think back to myself who might have gone a little bit wild and gone on crazy holidays or bought loads of jewellery or crazy nights out. How did you manage to, like, just keep it so well tight? That's a hard one because I think I've just always been like that. You know, I've just always been very... Uh, very shrewd with money you know I think it came from growing up with a mother who was always sort of worried about the boiler breaking or something else breaking and something like that so it was always just any money I got I just had to keep so it wasn't almost being disciplined it was just inbuilt in, in me you know so like all my brother's not maybe as interested as sort of business and the investment side of things he's always been the same like sort of saving money and he, he was the same in school um, but I suppose what kept me disciplined I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just in building me and it was that sort of desire and need. But although although I would save money, certainly when I started working, went to uni and started working in the hospital and sort of earning a little bit of money, because sometimes I was walking away with uh, a decent amount because it was on sociable hours, I would still buy all my clothes. So um, I was sort of at the time interested in sort of buying clothes and everything like that. But again, I wouldn't be going to this sort of the town centre shop or cruise or something in Glasgow and paying three hundred and fifty pounds for a Stone Island top. I'd be <laughs> thinking, well, I can get this on eBay for two hundred pounds. I can wear it, and then I could sell it for maybe two hundred pounds or maybe one eighty and take a slight loss on it, you know. So at the time, what would normally happen is I'd be paid maybe twelve hundred pounds from the hospital, and I would probably spend about five hundred pounds on clothes. So. I'm almost I'm getting that excitement and enjoyment from clothes, but I'm also almost retaining that money because the stuff didn't really go down that much in value. And then I would save the extra seven hundred. I would live off the money from the shop, and I did that for a couple of years to be honest, until I had all these clothes. And it got to the point I would start selling off the clothes uh, to buy more. You know, so I didn't actually have to buy anything direct. So so that was a little thing, a little sort of a, that I sort of got my spending from and, and, and that was enough for me to save everything else you know brilliant brilliant and what I loved there was that I appreciate the listeners might not be able to see this but you actually started smiling when you were talking about those eBaying days is there something about buying and selling that you just love um, I mean it was more just a sort of passion thing at the time you know it's not really something uh, I do anymore but um, it, it's, it's, just, it's just funny sort of thinking back uh, I used to get sort of jackets from China and um, sell them on eBay. So I'd, I'd be buying them for £20 and then sell them for 100 And then I would just be ordering uh, mm. them from China direct to the person's address. I think it's called dropshipping or something like that. So at the time, I was maybe making like £80 per jacket. But uh, the, the, issue, the issue with that towards the end is uh, maybe one in four jackets from China wouldn't be of, uh, of the best quality, you know. So then you would start getting complaints and everything. But yeah, no, at the time it was a sort of, it was a fun time uh, growing up and sort of, yeah, buying all the stuff and the sort of friends were into it as well. And, and yeah. No, and just to go back there about, you know, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then you decided to kind of take the plunge into buying your first property. How did it feel? I would imagine that it'd be a little bit intimidating, you know, with the background that you're describing to me and then just going to buy a property. What was that process like for you, and how did you sort of feel about it? Um, I, I wouldn't say it was. I think I learned enough from the podcast 
um, I was listening to just to have that confidence uh, that I was doing the correct thing, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, I probably wasn't overly sort of nervous or worried. It was just more of like uh, I should really get this done and sort of excitement, I suppose, at the time. So I was maybe third year in university, and up until that time, I thought because I used to be online googling, and anytime you Google, it's impossible. Uh, basically, if you Google how to get a student mortgage or can you get a mortgage as a student. There's about 101 articles basically saying that you can't get a mortgage as a student. And then the only way of doing that is a sort of mortgage that your mum and dad guarantees. But that's assuming that your mum and dad have a sort of half-decent income and not on sort of minimum wage. So I knew that wasn't an option for me. But it wasn't until maybe third year of university, and I could have done this a lot earlier if I'd known, but I realised that although I was a student, I was still working full-time hours. So I could still get a residential mortgage. Mm-hmm. From my employment at the hospital you know so all, all of these articles assumed that you wouldn't have a student who was pretty much working full-time hours so i just went i went to the bank and i, I didn't even tell them i was a student it was just more that like i, I work in a hospital uh, here's sort of uh, i think i had to give 12 months pay slips because it was a zero contract job they seen all the pay slips and it was, it was pretty much just bought on a sort of residential mortgage you know so at the time i thought if i could buy a flat and I would live in it for a little bit then move out after the fourth year of university. I knew that the first, obviously I knew how much rents were and everything uh, when I was in university and stuff so I thought if I could buy a three bedroom flat or at least a two bedroom flat with a separate uh, kitchen from living room then I could make it a two bedroom. So what I ended up doing is buying a large two bedroom flat uh, and then I just moved, I put a bed in the living room and then I put a bed in one of the spare bedrooms and then I rented out both rooms. So immediately, I mean, in the third year of university, so my mortgage is about £250 a month and I'm getting £400 a month from each room, you know. And I, that property actually it required a large refurb, but to be honest, at the time, I probably would have bought something that was even ready to rent if I just had something within my price bracket and something that had at least two rooms I could rent out. Mm. So it was actually, uh, it did actually turn out to be a, a quite sizable uh, renovation, which was a, a learning, learning experience itself, you know. Yeah, and you've actually probably bit me to the post about that first property, about what was the learning sort of experiences. You've talked about doing refurbs. What else did you learn from that experience? Um, well, I suppose the biggest thing I learned was what plaster was. So I, I had no idea uh, what like the board plaster wasn't even in my vocabulary so um obviously i mean i grew up i grew up in a sort of year build property again with a, a single mother so there wasn't really much um sort of tradesmen or anything like that around uh, and, and i'm not the most practical so i'd never even heard of the word plaster but i basically bought a flat where it was all laughing of plaster and all the walls were crumbling so uh, my six thousand pound refurb that i had in my head uh, actually turned into a twelve thousand pound refurb Oh my god! Oh my god! You must have been pulling yeah. your hair out at that point. Yes, yeah. At the time, it was all it was sort of credit cards, and that's actually when I sold all my clothes at the time. So I had all these, uh, uh, mostly like sort of Stone Island stuff, and uh, I had all these like nineties machine shirts that I loved. Uh, so I sold all that off and maybe raised like two thousand pounds, and then uh, I sort of put the kitchen on finance from B and Q, and then credit carded the rest. But, I mean, it, it was fine because obviously once I'd sort of made, moved in and sort of rented out the rooms, I was getting an extra £800 a month. And what people might forget is before I was paying about 
£450 for rent, but then my mortgage was 250 So I was actually saving considerably on that, plus the rent. So I, I quickly was able to sort of pay off those credit cards and stuff. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, what I was going to ask you was when it comes to refurbs, now I know since your very first property, you've kind of tackled quite a few refurbishments. What's the sort of process that you go through when you're about to tackle a refurb? Would you be able to talk me through like beginning to end what it looks like for you? Well, to be honest, it's actually what I sort of struggle struggle with most, you know, sort of I mean, the kind of financing stuff for property and like the prices and all that. I'm sort of okay with, but the refurbs, is, it's, took a lot, it's took a lot of time to um, sort of learn that side of things. Uh, and I suppose early on, I would always get my dad over just to look, you know, because he's, he's, he's quite a sort of handy, practical person, you know, he would spot things like the electrics and stuff like that, and boilers and things like that, that I wouldn't uh, necessarily spot, you know. So even even to this day, if, if he's about, I'll get him over. Uh, I also get sort of my tradesmen I, I, I use immediately to have a look. I'll have my electrician have a look at the electrics and I also get my letting agent over just each time I buy a property now. So I've basically got three or four opinions right away. And although now I've got a half, half decent idea of sort of what work needs done, uh, that sort of helps and they can sort of point out certain things and stuff before I get a sort of full uh, schedule of works. Yeah, that gives you all the confidence when you're just about to go into that refurb, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some refurbs are, uh, I've got one right now that's it's actually gone over 20,000. So some refurbs are sizable and other ones are just, uh, are quite small, you know. So it, it, you sort of know you, there's almost not too much to do and you can just sort of get a handyman in and, you know, it's just maybe painting and sort of changing kitchen doors and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, what do you think uh, most people misunderstand most about property and the property industry? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, what do people... Um, I mean, it depends what... I suppose people coming into it uh, maybe expect it just to be sort of easy, fast money. You know, so I think I think that's a sort of misconception. Uh, I think there's... Um, I think there's a lot of people out there um, that think that all landlords are super rich and we're driving about in our Ferraris. No, nobody cares about their tenants and everything like that. I think I think that's a misconception. Um, I'd say the other misconception is probably, although it's a big part, how much is actually due to uh, sort of about sort of refurbishment process and stuff. You know, so I think um, I, I mean I've seen people that are maybe my age and they're saying, oh, so 24, 25, are off to do an apprenticeship to become a joiner just because they want to sort of get involved with property. You know, I've had that conversation recently. And if you want to be a joiner, fantastic. Or if you're young at 16, do it. But if you actually want to get involved in property, I'm not sure if a four-year apprenticeship as being a joiner is the best thing. I'd say just get started, you know, mm-hmm. and actually buy one and get looking and view property. So I'd say that's sort of three misconceptions from, uh, I suppose, the different angles. Yeah, brilliant. And what underrated tools do you use as a property investor i'm thinking any plugins any websites um any sort of we tips or tricks that you use um i mean i suppose the obvious one is, is right move especially the sort of sole comparables um sometimes you can get pictures on zoopla that you can't get in right move mm-hmm. uh, that, that that's also fantastic just looking when looking at comparables um, the other thing i quite like is the epc register 
So that that's particularly good for one EPCs and sort of seeing addresses. But the other thing that's great for is um, getting a square meterage of a property. You know, so surveyors are quite uh, obsessed with square meters, and a property that's four square meters bigger than the other might get valued ten thousand pound more. So if you're sort of focusing on a street and you're you're on that EPC register, it's quite good just to cross-reference your comparables with the, the EPC register. Mm. And another one's probably um, just Google Maps. It's Google Street View, you know. It's such a simple thing, but you can sort of be going down the street and really checking. You can almost, I don't know if you can, but you can sort of almost see the numbers on, on doors and stuff like that. So, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. In your opinion, what is the most important personality trait someone would need to be a property investor? Again, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, think, I think resilience. Um, I think you have to have a sort of long-term view, you know. It's not you're sort of you're not going to become rich in two years or something, especially go down the buy to let route. It takes time, so I think the long term view, resilience, uh, persistence. You know, uh, I think I think you do have to be organised. You know, it's, that's something that I've had to to work on, to be honest. But I do think you have to be organised. There's, there's a lot of paperwork involved, a lot of stuff with lenders, um, and a lot of sort of legal and compliance stuff. Um, sort of with your letting agents and everything like that so so yeah that's what I would say and if, if you're not maybe probably similar to me if you're not that organised although I, I had sort of worked on it I mean just just get somebody to help with that you know that's mm-hmm. a that's another good thing about property it's not something you have to do yourself you, you can sort of do it with other people and I, I love that word resilience um, can you think of a time where you've had to be particularly resilient um, when working in property um, I think back to um, last year. That's probably the first thing that that comes to my mind. So I I initially started uh, sort of buying using uh, my own funds and sort of rolling them from each project to project. And uh, sort of late twenty twenty one. Wait a minute, is this twenty twenty? I actually forgot what year we're on. Twenty twenty two. This is twenty twenty two. Right. Thanks for the reminder. So it was probably late twenty twenty, early twenty twenty one. I started raising sort of private investor money. Uh, so I took on my first ever investor, and this was probably around February time. And uh, I, I came across a deal which was part of a sort of larger portfolio, um, you know. And this is, again, this is probably about February time, and we sort of put in a contract to start in April because I knew there would be a process uh, before starting. And that, so with the nature of it, it was although I was buying a single unit, it was part of a portfolio. Um, There's a whole shed of stuff that just um, stuff that went wrong. Um, the buyer not having his ducks in a row. The sellers being incredibly pushy and, and, and doing no legal work. Actually, when they purchased it, you know, so they actually purchased it like three or four weeks before and then sold it on. So so, so that was a challenge, and all, all those things ended up. That although I'd first had this conversation and really raised the money in February, it didn't actually settle until July. And even up until the last minute, I uh, I, w- I was worried that uh, it wouldn't settle. You know, we're sort of getting told that the, the sellers were pulling out and everything like that. And although I was buying cash, uh, so I, it was sort of no problem with the investors, investors' funds, um, it was part of the portfolio deal, which was obviously bought, uh, sort of bought in term finance. Uh, so that was... Being the first one and obviously having that sort of large delay and even towards the end having that uncertainty about whether it would actually settle or not because again I was getting 
sort of messages and emails saying like the sellers are pulling out um, and then I'm thinking well I'm going to have to put this money into something else and I'm already four months behind but what as it transpired the the, the property settled um, I, I revalued it a couple of months later and everything went well um, but that was a sort of a, that was a sort of stressful time and I suppose I suppose the resilience was just sort of keeping on, you know, just keeping on it and, and, until it was done and not sort of, uh, yeah, not sort of worrying too much, although, although it was difficult. Totally, totally. And it's great that it had a happy ending at the end of it, to be honest with you. Um, you said something there that I was really curious about. You talked a little bit about private investor funds. Um, what's your sort of process going through that, you know, and what made you transition from using your own money to using private investors? What was that sort of key moment there? I think I, I suppose the transition just came from uh, a bit more a bit more experience and a bit more sort of understanding of the theory of, of, of how it would work, you know. So I've done my first few deals, and then I was like, well, I can see how this would work, and yeah, and I suppose it was just sort of um, sort of put myself out there, and um, yeah, and really, I mean, really, it just came from sort of friends from sort of university and stuff like that uh, that have invested. But um, yeah, um, I think that's. I think the transition is just again experience, time, uh, and it sort of it sort of developed naturally, you know. Brilliant, brilliant. Ewan, we're coming to that section now. Uh, this section where we kind of transition from the interview and we go into my personal passing project all around pub quizzes. As sad as it sounds, I like to consider my bit of a, myself a bit of a brain box. However, in reality, it's quite far from the truth. Um, so we're going to play a little bit of a game. I'm going to ask you a couple of pub quiz questions all around property. It's okay if you don't know the answer. I'm going to try and help you out as best I can. It's actually probably more to ch- test the listeners than you, Ewan. So don't worry too much, to be honest with you. Yeah. Out of curiosity, if you're on Mastermind, what would be your specialist subject? Um, mastermind special subject would probably be would probably be Scottish football. Scottish football, nice, nice. And, and, and purely because um, you know, just just when I'm working and stuff, I listen to a lot of radio, and I, I've just got the radio in the background, so I, I rarely actually watch the game, but just sort of listen to Super Scoreboard and such. <laughs> yeah, so if it's questions around like, you know, who scored, you know, the Scottish Cup final winner in such and such a year, you'd be pretty, pretty good at. Um, it's always strange you get these sort of like really bizarre pockets of knowledge that we seem to know a little bit about. But hopefully when it comes around property, you'll know a little bit about it. Okay. Well, fingers crossed, yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, question one, number one. Can you name the UK's largest online property website? That's right, Ewan. That is correct. Uh, how do you use Rightmove? You talked a little bit about there early on about it being one of your sort of underrated tools that you use. Is it something that you're constantly trolling through on a daily basis, or do Always. you just... really, really? Always, yeah, yeah. Are you at that stage now where you can almost, almost look at the images and know straight away whether it's a gore or not? Um, I think, uh, yeah. Oh, pr- Pretty much in my local area, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think certainly outside, you, you sort of do need to look. In, but certainly locally, you, you see something come on, and either it's way overpriced, and you know that it's not really feasible, or it's fairly priced, and you know that there's maybe a deal to be done, or it's keenly priced, and then you're like, I need to get out there to do that tomorrow mm-hmm. and get my offer in. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, you're off to a flying start here, Ewan. Off to a flying start. Question number two. How many property squares are there on a Monopoly board? So by property squares, do you mean like the actual um, addresses of properties? Yeah, how many? How many? And I'm looking for a number here. Um, so there's two plus four is six. And then I believe there's five. There's 11, 5, 16, 5, 21, and then 5 again is 26. And are you including the jail? No, I'm not including the jail. And you're not including the chance cards? I'll say 26. That is correct. Yes. I Good. Mean, I, I, I was a keen Monopoly player. Yeah. Um, when I'll... I was young, yeah, absolutely obsessed with it. Maybe that's maybe that's where that sort of young being quite thrifty kind of came from. Maybe just playing hours of Monopoly. Maybe yeah. I mean, I, I love board games. Just as like a, I think as a ten year old, probably as good as ten, I was just um, playing the toys. I also played the board games, but I was always quite competitive. So um, yeah, I absolutely love Monopoly, and um, it was just a case of buying as much as possible as soon as possible, and then you would most of like you would basically win, you know. I don't suppose any of that came into your real-life property ventures, did it? Um, I mean, within reason, yeah. Obviously, there's a limit to what you could buy and stuff like that, and you sort of have to sort of be building things sort of sustainably and carefully. But absolutely, you know, if you if you post on Facebook and say, what's your biggest property regret to one of these pages? Most people say it's not buying more sooner. Mm, totally. You know? Totally. Question number three. Which former footballer helps present Holmes under the hammer? I'm not sure, but I'm just going to guess Robbie Fowler because I keep seeing his Facebook ads. <laughs> Robbie Fowler. No, unfortunately, that's incorrect. It's Dion Dublin. Ah, he played for Arsenal. Play, playing for Arsenal. Um, I, I, can literally, I can literally picture him, uh, yeah, in his sort of his coat and his, his little uh, bonnet, yeah. It's quite interesting. Holmes under the hammer is, is sometimes a... A kind of a catalyst for some people to get into property it kind of um makes it seem quite fun the refurb process and like the buying and selling and, and flips how close is the program to like real life for you yeah great question yeah i've heard a lot of people say yeah homes under the hammer um yeah i i wasn't really a massive fan of it uh, growing up um but i have obviously seen it and stuff and i mean i, I suppose that's suppose the biggest thing is you don't really share all the numbers mm. You know, um, yeah, they, they don't really share all the numbers, and and you suppose you, you get a lot of people uh, just buying something, assuming that if they just add, if they just do a refurb, they'll make a profit, which isn't always uh, necessarily the case. You know. Brilliant, brilliant. Question number four: What name is given to the tax which must be paid to the government on a purchase price of a property? I think in England it's additional dwelling. Supplement ADS. So what what I've got here is stamp duty. Stamp duty. Well, yeah, I think I think it's part of stamp duty, but I, I think it's um, I think it's a bit more niche because stamp duty. Okay, no, you no, you okay? Yeah, you're right. I'm just yeah. yeah I'm just is this challenging the quiz master? Well, challenging the quiz master. I know, shocking. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's because of buy old like stamp duty is paid on more expensive properties than that. Actually, as an investor, my stuff's sort of under one hundred and twenty thousand mm-hmm. pounds. So, so, so you're not you're not actually paying uh, the sort of stamp duty. You're just paying that sort of additional stamp duty. But no, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been humbled. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now here's I'm looking for a little bit of guess guesswork as close as possible to the number. I'll give you a point for this. Okay, sixty two percent of households in Scotland are owner occupier. What percentage are rented from private landlords? I'll say nineteen percent. You know what? I feel like I should give you a point for that because the answer is fourteen percent. So I think you're in in the in the ballpark there. So I think that's fair. Uh, last question: What does the Z stand for in the property company ZPG Limited? I have no idea. Um, I'll just go to my phonetic alphabet, and I think it's Zulu. I'll try that. Close. You're going to absolutely kick yourself, Zupla. Oh, of course, yeah. Zoopla. Um, a bit of a rival from Right Move, another one that we kind of use quite a lot. One of the thing, features I quite like about Zoopla is that when you're searching through when you're searching through it, you can actually search via keywords in the description, which I find really useful. So you can be looking at the sort of classic, you know, modernization or sold as seen, those sort of things that you can look at um, as an investor. It just helps kind of narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. I think as well, some stuff is uh, advertised on Zoopla. That isn't on not often that isn't on right move you know so sometimes uh, that's how the, like my my first profit I bought um, was on Zoopla but not right move mm-hmm. and uh, I remember catching up with a sort of another local investor a few weeks later and she's like oh, I didn't I didn't see that and I mean that's probably why you know yeah so it's good to be looking at all the platforms rather than just sticking to just to to one specific one brilliant well I would say that's top marks there Ewan that's top marks. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Ewan. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to your story and getting your opinions and feedback and taking part in our property pub quiz. Uh, I know it can always be a little bit challenging when you're putting your on the spot. However, uh, I really appreciate um, speaking to you for a wee while. Yeah, thank you, Sebastian. And uh, thanks for having us on. It's been it's been a privilege and an honour. And uh, I think, I think the podcast is a great idea and I think that's exactly what the property industry needs is a little bit of fun and a little bit of rock and roll. Brilliant. I love that. I love that. And is there anything you want to share, anything you want to work on, anything that you would like people to reach you out on or speak to you on? Um, yes, yeah, so I'm quite active on social media, so mostly on Instagram and you'll also find me on Facebook. So yeah, it's a you Dudding and... Um, as I'm always spelling it, it's E-W-A-N and not E-U-A-N. So yeah, just um, sort of follow me on Instagram and drop me a message and yeah, happy to answer any questions for anybody. 